All right, Colossians chapter 2. We love you, Lord. Well, this week I was thinking about St. Basil. He's one of the Cappadocian fathers. He was born in the year 330. He's sometimes called the second Athanasius. Athanasius was the church father who fought with Arius or the Council of Nicaea. Do you remember Arius taught that Jesus was not fully divine? He was a created being who then created all things. And so Arius believed essentially what Jehovah's Witness people believe today, that Jesus was a created being. And Athanasius argued to his death in front of all the bishops of the Council of Nicaea. There was, some say, over 200 bishops. And Athanasius won the day. And, and the vast majority of the bishops agreed with Athanasius that Jesus was God of God. We get the Nicaean Creed that Jesus is fully God. Now, the problem is, is that Arius was quite the marketer. And um, although the, the Nicaean Council had established Jesus' divinity for the church, the, all the bishops, pastors came together and said, no, what was always taught and believed was that Jesus was fully God. Arius spent the rest of his days um, propagating the idea that Jesus was a created being. He was a bit of a marketer and um, created little jingles, little songs that he would sing to the people in the marketplace. And he kept pushing this idea that Jesus was a created being. And uh, again, he had all these little marketing strategies, um, much like much like the Mormons today, um, to, to propagate his belief. Now, remember, with, with Constantine... This is sloppy history here, but generally speaking, with Constantine, um, Christianity was becoming yoked with the Roman Empire. And so the, the church that was persecuted for years and had saw their leaders give their lives for Christ, they, they were now politically accepted, and many were really excited about that. It felt like they were winning the day. And so the church becomes yoked with the Roman Empire, and all of a sudden, politics and the faith begin to do this thing. This is one of the reasons why our founders said that there must be a separation between church and state. Not to say that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics, but to say that politicians shouldn't be involved in the church um, was, the, was what was going on here. And so what happens is, although the, the Council of Nicaea firmly established that, that Jesus was fully God, that that was the, the orthodox doctrine of the church, the Roman Empire, through people, Arius and his movement, began to buy this idea that Jesus was a created being. And as the church became yoked with um, politicians, there was a point in when it felt like um, all of the church in Rome was beginning to embrace Arianism, and um, to the point where Roman officials were beginning to enforce Arianism on the church. Remember, um, Constantine even, one of the reasons the Council of Nicaea happened was because he had this idea that the church must be unified, and if the church was unified, then the empire would be unified. Because in the Roman worldview, um, gods and the success of government were very interwoven, right? In Greco-Roman world. And so they had, had embraced this idea that there needed to be a unanimous doctrine, and so the Roman government starts to force the churches towards Arianism. Now you've got all these pastors and bishops who have kind of been excited about being accepted by the government, and a lot of them are just laying and down and rolling over, but St. Basil, again, the second Athanasius, you ever heard the phrase Athanasius against the world? It means Athanasius is going to argue to his death that Jesus Christ was fully God. St. Basil, the second Athanasius, now in this period, um, is going to continue arguing that Jesus is not a created being, that he's fully God. Now, at his death, uh, Gregory the theologian, a figure in church history, recorded that he had a conversation between St. Basil and, and a prefect named 
Modestus um, that he recorded at St. Basil's death and they read kind of at his, um, not a funeral, but at a celebration to celebrate his life. And so here's a conversation that that St. Basil has with a Roman prefect about whether or not he's going to embrace the idea that Jesus was a created being. Modestus says to Basil, Everyone else has yielded. You alone refuse to accept the religion commanded by the king. Basil responds, It's not the will of my king. I cannot worship anything that has been created since I myself am created by God. The prefect examining Basil was incensed. What do you think of us, he roared. Are we nothing? Basil responds, You're a prefect, but I shall not honor you more than I do God. Do you know what I can do to you? Don't you fear my power? asked Modestus. There are many things I can do to you. Name them, Basil says. I can confiscate your possessions, banish you, torture you, put you to death. Is that all? None of these things trouble me. You cannot confiscate my possessions. I don't have any. Banishment, exile, what are these to me? Everywhere on earth is God, everywhere on God's earth is my home. Torture cannot touch me, for I have no longer a body to torture. As for death, it's welcome to me, for it will bring me sooner into his blessed presence. The prefect was taken aback. No one has ever addressed me in such a manner until now. No doubt, Basil replied. Probably you've never met a proper bishop until now. He says, why won't you embrace the religion of the king? Modestus says to Basil. And he says, not my king. Modestus says, no other bishop, no other pastor, no other Christian dares speak to me this way. Basil says, well, you must not have talked to any real Christians yet. And he's highlighting that there's something in the Christian faith, a conviction, an unwillingness to be intimidated, a, um, a deadness to this life, right? He says, Okay, tell me what you can do to me, Modestus. I can take all your possessions. Christians say, what are possessions to us? He says, I can beat your body. St. Basil says, I'm already dead. I can have you killed. He echoes the Apostle Paul. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. You kill me, you only advance, you only give me a nice little promotion. Thank you. There's a loyalty Hear me say, hear, hear me use that word today. There's a loyalty in St. Basil that says, I hear what you're saying. He said, Modesta says, what do you think of us that we're nothing? And St. Basil says, no, I think that you're a prefect, but I won't honor you above God. I won't bow my knee to you because you think that you can intimidate me and, and apply some kind of pressure. You, you can't intimidate a dead man. I have a different nature. Now, this is where Paul's going to go today, and I, and I want to drive this point home. Christians, we believe, fundamentally have a distinct nature. When we say any man in Christ is a new creation, the old has passed and the new has come, we don't just mean that any man in Christ is forgiven. Of course we believe any man in Christ is forgiven. We believe any man in Christ is an entirely new creation. A, a new spiritual being. A spiritual being that's not easily intimidated. A new spiritual being that is not tied to the things of this world, but belongs fully to Christ Jesus. And so, in a way, where we're going to go today is, um, um, Paul is going to argue, and I think St. Basil displayed it for us perfectly. Paul is going to argue that you as Christians are different. You are distinct. You are new. 
You cannot be intimidated. You cannot bow. You have a, a very, very hot and committed loyalty to your king. And in a way, St. Basil says to Modestus, you must have never seen a real Christian before. Today's your day. Congratulations. And in a way, Paul's going to say to the Colossians today, show them what Christians are like. And, and I'd like to say that to you today. In a, in a culture that is fastly denying God with, with this kind of um, societal peer pressure that attempts to intimidate you, and maybe you'll lose your job if you don't bow and say just the right things, St. Basil would say, show them what Christians are like. And Paul would say, show them what Christians are like. Okay, let's read our text today, and we'll, we'll kind of try to examine Paul's ideas here to the best of our ability. Now, thank you for whoever killed that little cricket thing. That was very... Eat it. Eat it, John the Baptist. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of your trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul said a lot in that paragraph, the heart of the, the, heart of the epistle, essentially. We'll do our best to work our way through it here. Verse 6 introduces the word, therefore. And most would say that that therefore is the transition from, uh, from introduction in the book of Colossians to the body of the text. And so we've just transitioned from um, the, the kind of introductory comments to the, to the meat of the point. Therefore. Remember again that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae who came to Christ through the teaching of Epiphras and is now being infiltrated by false teachers. We said last week that Paul says, believes that this is a demonic assault against the Colossian church that is presenting itself through teaching. That sometimes hell presents teachers. And the church needs to know how to properly respond to the doctrines of hell. We can piece together using clues from the text what teaching is happening now with the church of Colossae. And we basically believe what it feels like is the church is being assaulted with a kind of early Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that, that these group of people had secret knowledge. Again, the word Gnostic means knowledge, that they had some kind of secret wisdom, secret knowledge that came through denying the flesh. The basic worldview of Gnosticism is that everything that is matter is evil and everything that is spirit is good. 
So that worldview today in our text will have quite a clash with the biblical worldview because the biblical worldview does not say that everything of matter is evil. There's nothing evil about this podium here. It is all moral. You cannot commit evil acts. Nor do we believe that everything spiritual is holy. Right? There's a lot of demonic spiritual junk that happens. When you believe or when you embrace the idea when, you, when your worldview begins to embrace, this is what you would call dualism. This kind of dualism. That everything matter is evil and everything spiritual is good. You'll chase after anything spiritual that, that, that feels tingly to you. And as Christians, we believe you need to be careful about the spiritual things you chase after. And you'll embrace the idea that salvation is about rising above matter. So salvation is about becoming a more spiritual person. And, and not about being delivered from sin, the consequences of sin, the power of sin. From a biblical worldview, everything matter is not evil. Like when I hold my babies, their, their bodies are not evil. They're a beautiful gift of God, right? From a biblical worldview, I'm not trying to be delivered from my body. In, in, in Christian theological terms, I'm trying to be delivered from the flesh. The sarks is the Greek term. Now, that, that word doesn't come, quite come through in English the way we want it to come through. But what it means is I'm not trying to be delivered from my physical matter. I'm trying to be delivered from my sin nature. And evil in the world is not this podium. Evil in this world is deceit. Evil in this world is not the carpet that we walk on. Evil in this world is gross sexual acts that degrade humanity. And so what we need to be delivered from is not our blue jeans. What we need to be delivered from is the thing in our heart that disobeys God. So Paul turns and says, Let no one take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, when Paul uses the word philosophy, he doesn't mean, he doesn't use the word philosophy in, as tight of a con construct as we use it. When we use it, we mean um, logical concepts that try to define existence. But when Paul uses the word philosophy, he just means a body of thought. Don't be, don't be taken captive by a body of thought that is only empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world. Elemental spirits of the world, scholars are a bit puzzled by that phrase, but it seems to mean, essentially, demonic spirits that promote the idea that if it's spiritual, it must be good, and if it's bodily, if it's matter, then it must be evil. And so the first thing Paul says is, don't be taken captive by this kind of empty deceit, this kind of dualism. For... Verse 9, everyone say four. Not the number four. Four. In Him, all the fullness of, of deity dwells what? Bodily. Why is Paul reminding us that the fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ? Because he is highlighting our biblical worldview. Again, not that everything of body is evil. Christ was a man in the flesh. And the fullness of deity dwelt in his flesh so that perfection, so that deity could hang on a cross and be pierced 
in order to spill holy blood, you understand that if you read the DNA of Jesus, it would, it would not say generations of people, it would read God. The, whole, the blood of God was, was spilled through, through a body to redeem us. God became man that we might be delivered. He's saying, don't forget that Christ dwelt bodily, the fullness of God. And he is saying, don't bow your knee to the teaching of demons. We cling to the teaching of Christ. And in clinging to the teaching of Christ, we are clinging to the the gospel of God. He says, Christ is head, Christ is Lord, Christ is supreme. And if you'll notice carefully, Paul is saying that if you go after this kind of dualism or these kind of Gnostic secret wisdom religions, if you allow people on the internet to tell you that you don't know the truth because the real truth has been hidden from you for generations and now it's going to be revealed if you'd only like, subscribe to my YouTube channel. (laughs) If you allow people to lead you down that road, what you'll end up in is worshiping demonic spirits. Paul is saying, don't go after the elemental spirits of the world. They, that, that it, those are, are, are demonic spirits wanting the worship that belongs to Christ. Remember that Christ is the Lord of the universe at large, that all belongs to Him. He's supreme over every demonic spirit. And then He, he wants us to remember all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Mainly, our spiritual circumcision, our newness of life, the canceling of our debt, and the triumphing over hell that has taken place in Christ. Again, if we, as 21st century New Testament believers, allow folks to tell us to knock on our door and tell us to pass us pamphlets, to intrigue our ears, and to tell us that we don't know God's mystery... And that we need to escape our current state to somehow uh, ascend into some new spirituality. If you go after that, Paul says you're spitting on your salvation. You don't need to ascend to some new reality. You have been born again in Christ. You don't need to be elevated in your thinking by the uncovering of some new mystery. In the mystery of God, which is Jesus, you are a new creation. Again, that's not just an ideology. That's not just some theological phrase we kind of humdrum pass along to one another. That is a state of existence. You have been born of God's Holy Spirit. So people will knock on your door today or on the internet will tell you today that if you would stop eating certain meats, you would forget meat, maybe... Go totally vegan. Like me, that's how I keep this trim figure. (laughs) If you would would deny yourself any sexual activity, even with your spouse, if you would just totally beat up your body, sleep in the cold, then somehow you could ascend above your... By punishing my body, I can elevate my spirit. And Paul says, your spirit is already born again. You don't need an elevated spirit. You have a new heart in Christ. So he says, first, he says, 
You have been circumcised with a circumcision that is not made of human hands. Circumcised with a circumcision not of human hands. Literally, you have received a spiritual, surgical operation that the Spirit Himself has completed when your heart of stone became transformed into a heart of flesh. Then He says, in baptism, when you went down in the waters of baptism, the Spirit acted upon you. And He delivered you from the body of sarks of flesh. Not your, not your physical body, but your sin nature which you inherited from Adam. The thing in you that constantly wants to rebel, that constantly wants to self-indulge. The thing in you that's self-centered, that only wants to satisfy your sexual desires or, or to be filled with pride. Paul says that thing was cut off when you went down in the waters of baptism. The Spirit Himself circumcised your heart. couple of side comments to make here. The text implies that believers are baptized. The, 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 Paul assumes that you've been baptized. We've done this thing in modern Western culture where, where the sinner's prayer has become the center, the center of Christianity. And, and in a sense it is, um, although there's no sinner's prayer in the New Testament, obviously. But in a sense, the moment where you give your heart to Christ and you apply your faith to God. That is the, the most beautiful moment. It's the moment that your born-again process takes root. But the life of faith, the seed of faith in my heart, it produces things. And people who have faith go down in the waters of baptism and the Spirit of God, He, he rids them of sin nature. Barclay, William Barclay says, In Him you have been circumcised with a circumcision not by man's hands, a circumcision which consists in putting off the whole of that part of you which is dominated by sinful human nature, which you were able to do by the circumcision which belongs to Christ. In baptism, our hearts are circumcised and, and, and that fleshy piece of us is cut away. Now, I, I just wanted to say that in modern Western culture, we underemphasize baptism, but the early church knew nothing of that. To the early church, baptism was crucial. It was important. Believers should be baptized. If you are a believer and you've not been baptized, you are in rebellion. It's the command of Christ. But what Paul is saying here is, again, you don't need to be liberated from your physical body. You need to be liberated from the flesh from sarks. And you have been, to the saints, to the Christians, you have been liberated. You have been saved. That part of humanity, which plagues all of humanity, which all received through our father Adam, that part of you has been cut away. Don't allow these people to tell you you need to ascend to some new spiritual state. They are going after some kind of demonic, elevated position where you have salvation. You have had the spiritual surgery needed. And then he says, and you are raised to new life. You have died with Christ and have been born again. Literally, your spirit man has breathed fresh life. You have died and rise again. 
You have a new spiritual state of being, of union with God. Your spirit and, and, and the Holy Spirit are united in faith. You know God. You have His Word. You hear His voice. You were born of God's seed, His harvest. Christ has raised you to new life. Don't let anyone belittle that. Show them the fruit of your new life. Show them boldness. Show them conviction. Show them selflessness. Show them humility. Express your new life. Don't allow heretics to undercut it. And he canceled your record of debt. The legal record of all your sins. The scripture says here that he nailed my record of debt to the cross. So I don't have anything to atone for. There are many heretical groups in our nations, offspins of Christianity, that will say, you need to, you need to do, jump through this hoop. Or if, if, you don't, if you don't jump through this hoop over here, then your sins really aren't going to be forgiven. But Paul here says that I don't have a record of debt. I have no debt. It's been canceled. It was nailed to the cross. This is a historical event that has taken place. The forgiveness is an action. Again, not an idea. My, my, my sins being forgiven is not an idea. It is a historical event that has taken place. I have no record of debt. Don't come in my house and try to tell me that I need to jump through a hoop to atone for my sins. I don't have any. It's been nailed to the cross of Christ. I am fully liberated from my record of sin. You are fully liberated. There is nothing to hang over your head if you are in Christ today. Don't let anyone bully you or back you in a corner on the basis of your past mistakes or even current mistakes. Just repent. Turn. There is no legal demand against my life. And then Paul says, and he triumphed over our enemies. He publicly shamed every demonic entity. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This, in the Roman world, imagine they don't have Google or the news doesn't ding their cell phone. They didn't have iPhones yet. Um, in, the, in the Roman world, when there was some military victory, there was no way to make a mass announcement that we won. What, what the army would do, what the military campaign would do, is they would either chain up Everybody who had, who had just been plundered, they would, uh, or those who had been murdered, sometimes they would carry in their heads. Um, they would bring all of the plunder, all of the gold and the silver, and they would essentially have a parade through the city, and they would show off their great victory. That's exactly what Paul is implying here. He is saying that, that Christ has victory over every demonic entity, and he has publicly shamed them. He has put on display his victory for all the world. And again, the implication being, don't let anyone intimidate you or back you into a corner or manipulate you to worship fallen, triumphed over demonic entities. The heel of Christ has crushed the neck of our enemy. Don't bow to him again. What Paul wants the Colossians to see and what you need to keep in mind is that heretical teaching, false teaching, 
And again, it's coming at us left and right. If you haven't had it, knock on your door yet. It'll come. What it, what it does is it presents a, an entirely different worldview. Oftentimes, this worldview of dualism, which says you need to be saved from your physical body, Paul says, one, that is not the worldview that Christ taught. God created and said, it is good. Two, when you embrace that kind of worldview or, or a false worldview, then you immediately are forced to embrace a different soteriology. That means a different plan of salvation. When you embrace the idea that all that's evil in the world is matter, then salvation means being delivered from matter. But again, that's not the biblical construct. The, the biblical implication is that the, 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 the plague of humanity is sin, which produces death and disease. And you don't, need to, you don't need to somehow transcend your physical body. You should take care of it. You should have Thanksgiving dinner and celebrate your family. You are permitted in scriptures to, to, to have a glass of wine and feast as long as you don't get drunk, right? You are permitted in the scriptures to, to celebrate, to rock your babies and love your babies, to not teach your kids to hate their bodies, teach your kids that, that God has gifted us with creation. It's our job to steward God's gift. And then our teaching is not that all that's evil in the world is matter and all that's spiritual is good. I want you to know plainly that all that's spiritual is not good. Our teaching is that you need to be delivered from the body of sin. We need to die in Christ and be raised to new life. If you allow anyone to pigeonhole you into a new doctrine, you forsake the cross. So Paul says, you are circumcised with a circumcision not of human hands. Meaning, that part of you that came from Adam, the Spirit brought his knife, his holy blade, and he cut it away. That heart of stone, he, he imparted to you a heart of flesh. That old man died, and the new man has raised to life. Don't chase after these new doctrines. Dig down into the doctrines that we find in the gospel of Christ Jesus. And then he's saying, walk in him. Resist these false teachers. Show them what Christians are like. Show them that Christians have new spiritual states. Show them that Christians are not easily intimidated. Show them that Christians are loyal to Christ Jesus as Lord above all else. Show them that you'll never bow your knee to their false teaching. Dig down and show them what it means to walk with Christ. And again, in a, in, a, in a day where historic Christianity is being spat on from every angle, I believe, they used to use this analogy a lot, you find this in devotionals and whatever, that, that, that when the darkness becomes darker, all, all it does, right, is gives you an opportunity for the light to be exposed. Right, in the darkest of settings, the church only looks more attractive. I believe as you dig down in your faith, bite down, cling to the garment of Christ, don't let go, allow no one to manipulate us or twist us or talk us out of our, our salvific experience. As we dig down and cling to Christ, all that's going to happen is we're going to create a house of sound doctrine and safety and boldness and the Holy Spirit's fire that the world will be attracted to. Yes, 
the tares grow up with the weeds, right? The wheat and the tare grow together. Yes, this is an age where darkness is beginning to excel. But I promise you, all that's going to happen is the church is going to look more attractive as long as you show them what Christians are like. Show them what Christians are like. Refuse to bow. Live loyal to Jesus. Make loyalty to Jesus the premier goal of your life. I get, you know, I get so sick and tired of the, the life goals of the self-help stuff. I want you to have one life goal. Loyalty to Jesus. Love him above all else. And there, there's something profoundly attractive about a people who live lives bigger than themselves. The most important thing to me is not my own safety or my own wealth or my own, uh, uh, my own persona, right? Everything in culture says, look better on the internet. Store up your wealth. Show the world who you are. I've got nothing to prove. I'm a dead man. Filled with the Spirit of God. And this is where St. Basil says, take my belongings, what belongings? Torture my body, okay. All you can do is give me a nice promotion. And then Basil again saying to Modestus, you probably never met a real Christian before. I think it's time for our society to meet real Christians. I'm, I am excited about all God's doing in our community. I think God has used our church in, in interesting ways in the last several years. I think God is moving here. But there is something in me that is leaping up in this hour. And I think it's time for us in our local community to show this community what real Christians are like. Laid down lovers of Jesus. Unwilling to compromise. Hot with conviction. Hot with passion filled with the Holy Spirit, willing to step out and share a word when we feel like the Holy Spirit has moved us, willing to pray for the sick, willing to step into situations where others are nervous and afraid with a holy confidence because we're sure that the Holy Spirit resides in me. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in here. Can't be intimidated. Won't be intimidated. Won't be. All right, stand to your feet. We'll get ready to close.